Democracy, they say, is a conversation. And we, as individuals, are the collective sum of what we do and who we meet. Today is a conversation of who I am and who I talk to. This is my contribution to democracy. Welcome to Synaptic Explorer. In a world of viral videos, tweets, and social media beatdowns that disconnect us from the messy and necessary work of sustained discourse, we aim to create magical moments of that sublime understanding and discussion. Talking to a tapestry of friends working in diverse and intriguing jobs in diverse and intriguing locations, I'm hoping to connect your um, neural synapses and explore new worlds. Today on our very second episode, um, we have some Someone who has had that quiet determination and passion for co-ops and we're going to find out a little bit more about what that means. Now with 60 million Latinx people living in the United States and more than about a 1.3 million um, Latin-owned businesses, um, questions about equity and labor exploitation has always been the news. Um, From Zapatistas in Mexico to fair trade in Nicaragua, co-ops have been in the news and in the rising. So we will delve into this with a dear friend and colleague from Cleveland, Esther West. Now, a little bit about Esther. Esther brings a longtime passion for worker co-ops and community development in her role as a cooperative development specialist at the University of Wisconsin Center for Cooperatives, bringing insights from various urban planning experience. Prior to joining the center, Esther researches on these co-op ecosystem and Latinx cooperatives. She brings in about five years of firsthand worker ownership experience from Equal Exchange. She provides technical assistance to co-op startups. She's been a co-facilitator for the Eastern Coordinating Committee for the Eastern Conference of Workplace Democracy, a trainer with Green Worker Co-ops in the Bronx and Equal Exchanges Educational Committee co-chair. Whoa, that sounds amazing. She obtained a Master's of Urban Planning, Design and Development, a Master's of Environmental Studies and a GIS Master's Certificate from Cleveland State University. She also holds a Bachelor's from Xavier University, which I did not know. And Esther currently is a board member of MADWORK-C and was recently elected as Vice President of the Board of the U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops. One of the most humble person for uh, someone who has this rich and diverse background. So welcome, Esther. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh, thank you. It's such <laughs> it's such a pleasure and honor to be here with you. And yeah, I really so, appreciate all that you do. <laughs> thank you. So we'll delve directly into the questions. Now, a lot of us do not know what a co-op or a cooperative is. So would you like to start off uh, by explaining what that means, really? Oh, sure. That sounds great. Um, So a cooperative is a business that is owned and owned, like financially owned and democratically controlled or governed by its members. So maybe you've heard of a consumer co-op, like a grocery store, and that's where the consumers own the co-op. And say the workers at that grocery store owned it instead, they were the membership, then it would be a worker co-op. Right. So there, there are many different types. Um, of co-ops. Yeah, of cooperatives. So tell me a little bit about why you became firstly interested in co-ops. Um, ever since I've known you, um, I think the one word that has been described about you is co-ops. So tell me a little bit about that background. <laughs> How did you get introduced and why co-ops? Sure. Well, you know, it's it's funny. Um, my father actually did worker co-op development as a tool for building up stronger communities in Cincinnati when I was growing up. Um, he started a nonprofit called Interfaith Business Builders in 1983. Um, and so I really grew up with that model of worker co-ops and had it really rooted in 
social and racial justice issues. Um, my mom is, she, she's currently, uh, she's, we're Mexican-American and she's currently, um, she's, a, she's been a psychiatrist for years, but um, early on, she was also a community organizer and that's how my parents met. And so through both of their eyes, I feel like I was really raised to have these values and um, try to really live out how I want to see the world and how I want our communities to look like. So talk to us a little bit about, um, I mean, I understand the uh, racial aspect of co-ops, but talk to us about, you know, um, so the things that, you know, one hears is labor exploitation these days, right? How does co-ops really bring about to reduce that labor exploitation, especially within the Latinx communities, given that they were historically tomato pickers um, from Nicaragua and Central, other Central American countries? So talk to us a little bit about how labor exploitation is kind of reduced by this. Well, thank you for bringing that up. That's such an important topic and um, an interesting and upsetting statistic is that it takes Latinas uh, in the U.S. two times, uh, about almost twice as long to earn the same amount as a white male. And that's including when you take into consideration education levels. So it's not just, you know, not just um, low income and, and by sector. So this is a very discriminatory thing. So in general, amongst the Latinx communities throughout the US, um, entrepreneurship's been really a big thing. So um, I think it's something like one in, new, every, one in four new businesses are created by a Latinx person in the country. And, um, and the rate of White women entrepreneurs is only about 13%, whereas Latina entrepreneurs is at about 87%. So it's like really a huge deal, entrepreneurship in general. Right, right. And and so co-ops come in because it's a way for people to combine their resources, combine their power together, their minds, to start their own companies and and have and have ownership and governance over how much about their pay you know like even if they're in a low wage industry mm-hmm. they still have a say in where that money goes and it's not just going to the owner because they are the owners it's going to the collective owners of the co-op can you repeat that statistic that you just said the one you said that latin gets paid three times lesser is that what you said so um it's about 54 cents to the dollar Wow. For Latinas um, to the average white man in the right. U.S. Right. Huge wage gaps. Yeah, that, that's and- a very disturbing, you know, uh, data. Um, so how, so, okay. So what I understand is, um, it, it kind of brings about minds together. It kind of brings about people together. So talk to us about how does this keep money in the poor neighborhoods? like. I mean, in in black neighborhoods, in Latina neighborhoods, how, you know, inner city neighborhoods. I mean, you know, I've seen inner city in Cleveland and the infrastructure, just just everything around inner cities in the United States has been a devastation, to say the least. So how does co-ops keep that money and uh, dignity to labor within these poor neighborhoods, if you can? Sure. So, yeah, there are lots of ways that that co-ops do that. So one is simply, you know, higher wages um, and the ability to have, and like within co-ops, part of that financial ownership comes profit sharing if the business is profitable. So there's an incentive to be a well-run company. um, And that starts building up wealth once people can start saving. And, um, and, you know, like I, I hear stories like of people uh, maybe, you know, for example, um, who are lower income, who can finally afford a home or a new car or something. These are big things for their families. And then, so after they started a co-op or were part of a co-op, so this is a big deal. Um, and yeah, and uh, 
another another way it keeps money in the communities is uh for example there's a co-op with and actually it's um up in rural wisconsin so you know but but a large corporation um had historically owned this company it was several decades old and um the owner was about to retire and all these jobs would have been lost up in rural Wisconsin, where it's it's hard to get jobs in rural areas, like job creation um, is a big issue in rural areas. So to keep the existing jobs is really critical. And the workers of the profitable section of this company actually purchased that part of the company. And so they gotten to keep their jobs. They didn't have an outside corporation making all the money from them actually are able to share in more higher profits now so it's it's a great tool so how how, right so how does reinvestment work in co-ops uh talk to us a little bit about that aspect of it um uh, you know i'm i'm not very familiar with that say yeah talk to us a little bit about the reinvestment yeah um let's see here so in terms of um, the workers and the business as well? For, yeah, in, yeah, in terms so, of both workers and businesses, um, how would it work in a co-op, for example? Yeah, so um, let's see here. So I'll give, I'd like to give an example, like my own personal example at Equal Exchange. Um, I think a helpful one, just to have a concrete one. So when I was a worker owner at Equal Exchange, I purchased one voting share mm-hmm. and uh, every every member has one voting share and it's all equal. Even like, so my vote was the same vote as the worth as the president mm-hmm. of the company. And so, um, so that enabled me to have a, a profit. Luckily we were profitable as a company. And so every year I got, a paycheck and also had an internal capital account. So when I left, I got that chunk of money back as well. Um, so that's a that's a big influence on somebody's personal um, wealth. Right. And then oftentimes co-ops will uh, put money back in communities. Um, oftentimes they're very socially minded. And so 10% of equal exchanges Profits went back to a fair trade organization or non other nonprofit. Um, you know, I, I guess uh, you know I can give so many examples of cooperatives um, putting money into, say, like anything from feeding their communities, uh, you know, providing meals to you know in low income communities, maybe um, to. Um, you know, partnering with uh, local schools. So there, there are a lot of different great examples. Right. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions is um, chain grocery stores uh, do not want to be, you know, do not want to build in poor neighborhoods. I mean, as we know, mm-hmm. Whole Foods, for example, is not in <laughs> the neighborhoods that are required. So how can cooperatives help in those situations, especially given groceries and stuff? And I know there are a lot of cooperatives around groceries. So talk to us a little bit about how um, food equity, food, um, uh, you know, just access to healthy food can be improved by co-ops. Sure. So- that's such a critical, such an important question. So yeah, um, so there are many consumer grocery co-ops in the U.S. And often, like you were saying, you'll see them in areas that have not been served by corporate, and that's because they don't they don't find they don't see that particular area as profitable for them. And of course, you know, like whatever goes in there has to have profit, right? But if a community starts up their own grocery from scratch, grocery co-op from scratch, they can really highly tailor it to their local needs. And, you know, the scale can be, um, they can get, they can start to get a little bit more creative with the scale of the co-op. So, you know, a traditional corporate grocery store has to be 10,000 feet, but for club, it can be a little bit smaller, like six to nine, maybe thousand square feet. Right. Um, and 
Yeah, and and you can start incorporating, like, say, other product lines or a local restaurant in the in the building itself or a cafe from a, a local um, a local cafe. Uh, so there are opportunities there that you can take advantage of that you may not have with a corporate chain mm-hmm. and thereby make profitable and serve your community's needs. Right. Well, this is a great example. Esther, um, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing at the University of Wisconsin. You know, I read the report and um, it was quite fascinating. And towards the end, they had a Venn diagram of power and the power structure and co-ops. But before all of that, just explain to us what your research um, focuses on um, and, and just walk us through that. So. At the uh, center of your co-ops, I do a mix of helping co-ops start up and also research. And the research includes rural new co-op ecosystems. So what different players and actors and elements come together for different parts of the country. Um, We have a national cooperative resource ecosystem map online where you can click by state and find uh, resources around capital, co-op friendly capital, uh, statutes, um, developers, and co-op associations. Um, and let's see here. So then I also do this Latinx research now. And this particular this report, the Latinx Co-op Power, was done in collaboration with Dr. Jessica gordon Hard, And she, she is a... a is a wonderful influence in the in the cooperative world, African American co-ops in the co-op world, and has really impacted the conversation around how we talk about co-ops, what is included as co-op work, um, understanding that within the context of, the, of uh, discrimination, mm-hmm. and both historical and today. And understanding, you know, it matters how we talk about our community of cooperatives and we need to be more inclusive. So, I mean, you so that's that next research comes in. That, that's amazing. So you um, you're saying you uh, help start up the uh, co-ops. Um, so in your vast research, um, how many Latinx owned co-ops are there? Tell us a little bit about the statistics of how many was there and which state had probably the most and which state had zero, none or like lacking in just like general idea of co-ops. Oh, sure. So in the research, at that at that point in time in 2019 towards the end of 2019 we found about 180 cooperatives that were latinx driven or for Latin, specifically for latinx people like credit unions for example with latinx designation um and uh, you know we found them throughout 31 states which is pretty good i think you know um, and since, since uh, you know, it can be better, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but be better. <laughs> I'm like, I'll take what I can get. No, right. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, this is part of the mission is to like build it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So which state was the highest? The highest was New York State. Of course. The state of New York. Yeah. Of course. It, so many. <laughs> yes. And just like, like 80 co-ops at least. Like, wow. and, and I think these numbers are actually low. So the 180 is actually low uh-huh. because since this was published, I've learned of several other new co-ops that are Latinx driven that were not included in our aggregate data set. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty, that's good. You know, it is growing. It's nice. Yeah. So which, which state was, uh, you said 31 states and out of the 31 states, what was like the last state? Well, let's see here. There were several, there were actually several with like one. I one, see, I see. That next co-op. Yeah. So, and some of them, I, you know, like, like Georgia, I learned later that there's a Latinx co-op there, but wow. in my report, it doesn't show. So it's, you know, so I don't yeah. want to like. So now I live in Mississippi. I'm wondering if there was anything or if that state was even included oh. in the 31. <laughs> Just curious. 
Yeah, it looks like there is one. Oh, wow. I'm actually pretty surprised. Now, these 31 states, I'm assuming, is because they have Latin, Latinx community living in these 31 states, like as as in the immigration pattern of it, right? Or or is it, is it, I mean, I'm I'm guessing, is that why we only have 31? Maybe the other uh, few states didn't have Latinx immigration at all. I'm just wondering, it's just a just a theory that I had. I don't know if that's true or. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say that um, the states with the most right. population or most co- Latinx co-ops yeah. are definitely um, like states with high Latinx populations. So New York, right. California, Texas. Of course. Um, and yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, a lot of it, a lot of it, you know, Latinx people are all throughout the U.S. And um, a lot of it is dependent somewhat on the just knowing that co-ops are an option. Right. And and uh, that's, you know, like we did not include um, there's so much activity around like Latinx entrepreneurs that's very cooperative in nature, but it's not a formal co-op. So we didn't include that just to, you know, I want to recognize their work work too um but you know a lot of the development takes place where there's a minimum of co-op support and education and you know just that people know that it's mission um right so yeah and then credit unions actually you can see a lot of strategic thinking with where the latinx designated credit unions are yeah because it overlays very nicely on a map of hispanic population Wow. And so that's why you were using your GIS map skills in this research, I'm assuming. I'm just, I'm so bad with tech. But my um, next question is, when when you were researching, did you ever find that a lot of Latinx communities either do not know, I mean, um, how to form a co-op or are woefully ignorant about co-ops and um, have been, you know, being misused with you know, underpaying, you know, fair minimum wage. And, you know, have you had those conversations? And if you did, can you tell us a bit of that, a bit about that? Like, was there like, at some point that, you know, they didn't even know what you were talking about in terms of co-ops and stuff? Or did you ever come across that kind of, um, you know, um, set of population? Oh, sure. You know, well, it's interesting, because I think, I think a lot of people might not know about co-ops just in general in, right. the, in the U.S. Of course. Yeah. It's just not that commonly known, even if people are part of one, like there are yeah. a ton of rural electric co-ops or we buy say organic valley or ocean spray, you know, in our fridge and we don't know it's co-op, you know, <laughs> but right. um, so, you know, I, I, just to contextualize that piece of it and yeah, like some people might not know about co-ops, but it's important to note that oftentimes pe- people with who may not have a lot of resources are a- already acting cooperatively anyway mm-hmm. to in terms of sharing what they have and um, supporting each other in times of need, um, whether it's financially or time, like maybe childcare, um, something like that, or, you know, to see the doctor. Um, so even if people you know really important to recognize that um, there are already people acting in a very like sharing manner and uh, kind of cooperative way. Right. Well, I mean, it's 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 actually wonderful. Um, we were just talking about within um, medicine, and there's just very few. Actually, there's just one, if I know, or, or if I know, in Texas, um, within the borders between Mexico and Texas, there is a you know co-op worker-owned hospital run by doctors and stuff, and you already see how efficient. Mm-hmm everything is and you know there's already um equity in terms of labor and you know organizing and um things like that so um what advice within you know what advice would you give if anybody is starting um a a co-op in general sure so so first of all it does help to know know your sector know your industry so 
you know, maybe um, if you're going into coffee, it helps to know about coffee. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And secondly, um, you know, getting together your group. So co-op technically has to have three people or more to be a co-op or else. It's oh, I did not know that. Or, yeah. 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 So, um, so get your group together, start talking with people who may be interested in joining. Yeah. Um, and then I, I suggest checking out our national, uh, operative resource ecosystem map and finding a, a local developer mm-hmm. in your area, co-op developer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, your local like co-op association mm-hmm. and, and if anything, you can email us. You can email me at the Center for Co-ops at ejwest at wisc.edu, and I'll, I'll put that in the right direction. Sure, repeat sure. that. Your your contact <laughs> details need to be repeated. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. Thank you. It's ejwest at wisc.edu. Thank you. And we can help get you all set up. <laughs> Thank you. That that sounds um, uh, great. So, okay, now we've spoken about your passion for co-ops and, you know, a little bit about your research. So within that research system, uh, what were your limitations um, in general? Every research has limitations, I assume. So what were yours? Sure. That's a great question. Um, so uh, let's see here. So one of one of the limitations is just that this was the first time it was done. Right. So right. we didn't have a base set to like explore. We had to create all this aggregate data from from scratch. And that's partly why um you know, we found since then I found new co-ops um some that had, some that are brand new like the last half year year and some that have been around and could have been included in the data set. So that's definitely um, one of the limitations is that it's under it's an undercount, but um, that's to be expected in this case. Um, another is yeah, another is that you know we don't have a great system for keeping track of this data for every co-op type. Mm-hmm. So the work co-ops, the U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops, actually does a really nice job of doing a worker co-op census every year or two. Mm-hmm. And so we actually have that data for worker co-ops. Nice. They're about, about 500 in the U.S. Yeah. But there are about 30,000 plus co-ops of any type. So the worker co-ops are actually the tiniest group, even wow. though that's my background. Um, so, yeah. So um, if we had that like demographic data collected, that could have just been as simple as looking at an Excel sheet and getting that, but there's, it's, it's just not there. Um, and yeah. And I think, I think uh, some, some areas that I'd like to continue exploring are case studies and looking at specific groups of co-op development in like say Chicago or, you know, by city um, because every community has its own story. Right. Of course. And it'd be great to just be able to learn more and share. Of course. Yeah. Can you share, uh, share with us that one story that uh, one cooperative story that was very inspiring? If you have. Sure. So yeah, let's see here. There's so many great ones. Um, I I uh, I think one that I've known about a long time that uh, I really appreciate is Green Worker Cooperatives in the Bronx, mm-hmm. and I've done a little bit of work with them, as mentioned, you know. Uh, but um, they have started so many new co-ops in New York City area, uh-huh. and more more recently, New York City had a lot of worker co-op funding through the city. But they've been, but this group has been doing it for a long, a long time, a long time, and I've seen them go from grow from a small organization to a larger capacity now, and they've started so many new co-ops. Um, in this aggregate data set, there were twenty five just from that group in, in, of green workers. So, 
I'm I'm always, I'm like really inspired by them and I feel like they do a good job and it's Latinx led and driven. Yeah. So I think that's an important part. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, you know, it's so funny because um, when I was young uh, in India, there were cooperative grocery stores back there. So co-ops are not a uh, new idea in developing countries. You know, it's only in the U.S. that a lot of people don't know, you know, um, about this. But growing up, I did not understand that, you know. So when... Um, I'm actually in the West in general, living in the UK, I did not see a lot of co-op led um, things and especially co-ops led by women have um, had, I mean, brilliant results. I mean, I I mean, what do you think? Like co-ops with women and, you know, um, I think that's led to equity in um, Central America for sure um, in in Latin American culture. So, um, so yeah, talk to us a little bit about uh, women led co-ops and, you know, and your experience and yeah. Sure. Well, um, it's really interesting uh, because um, a lot of the co-ops, like it's not all women, but a lot of them, the Latinx co-ops that were in the study were women-led. And it also reflects that larger trend of Latina entrepreneurship in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, like definitely it's a tool for creating more wealth and and having more say over your own life and the flexibility needed to just live out your life and take care of your family and yourself. Um, and yeah, and even at the Center for Co-ops, um, all, all of us right now, except for one person out of the seven, they are uh, women, you know, so <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know we're the yeah. development center, but... <laughs> Yeah, of course. Um, we get it done. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> that's a, that's the right sentence. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, uh, it, it was there like um, okay. Um, I, 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 the train of thought just passed by me with the groceries. So we talked about groceries. Um, so I've seen a lot of co-ops with books around, you know, libraries and stuff like that. And I read that on your uh, report as well. But if what was what was your major like? I understand you said you needed more uh, city by city, you know, based data. But what was your biggest result that you said this is it? Like you know, uh, a revelation to you guys that would you? What would you say was the biggest conclusion of your study? If you if you want to like summarize it with one or two, like what would it be? Sure. Um, well, you know, we had a few different key findings about, you know, just that Latinx co-ops cover many sectors and types. Um, They're in rural and urban areas both, Mm -hmm. although primarily urban. Mm -hmm. Um, But something that really strikes me is like all the possible opportunities to come from future collaboration between groups. So Mm -hmm. like I didn't realize about the credit union designation Right. Um, the credit union designations. So I love, I love, one of the reasons I like data is because like in good data collection is because it fills out the story for me yeah. and shows me like, you know, a broader picture than just my own little experience, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So maybe, for example, like maybe there can be collaboration between credit unions with this designation and local worker co-ops or grocery co-ops with uh, predominantly Latinx populations. Um, And also there are so many national Latinx justice-led groups or economic Latinx groups uh, nationally and um, as well as social justice groups in general. So like the Movement for Black Lives. um, And, you know, it's important to remember there are a lot of Afro-Latinas so this matters to, it should matter to us. Uh, Black lives matter, should matter to Latinx because it's our own people too. And as other people, obviously. Oh, no. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there are so many opportunities for collaboration and spreading this co-op model as a tool for building up what we want to see in our own communities. 
So Esther, what would you see a future? What is your future envision? A worker-led, you know, movement. I mean, I, I, I have been involved with raising minimum wage, um, and you know, and it's you know, Medicare for all kind of battles. Um, and I think that a worker-led, um, any any worker-led organization rather than Amazon and its strikes um, is, is obviously providing better equity for human life. So what's your future envisioning? Where, where would you like to see that future in the U.S., especially given the situation that we are in? Oh, great question. I would love to see... Um, I would love to see businesses sold to their employee, like current businesses when the owner retires to be sold to their employees. Mm -hmm. And that would be a quick way to convert a ton of businesses to Mm -hmm. co-ops. And as we, as we know, in this country, there are many retiring business owners. So this is a great opportunity. Um, And, you know, I think um, I would love to see Personally, I'd love to see associations and like you can make, you can have very large scale, but still have democratic practices by having associations. So each, each group of co-op, you know, each co-op group Mm -hmm. um, can, you know, govern their own co-op and then have a say in the broader association that can help with scale. So, um, yeah. So I would love to see just obviously if every business could be worker owned or, you know, um, more, more equitable, I would love that. Wow. I mean, that, that would be an actually a great um, sort of, we would, we would solve a lot of, um, I think a lot of um, uh, problems and issues that we've had you know, even just with labor organizing and things like that, that would absolutely solve that. And, you know, coming back to raising minimum wage and stuff. So how much of co-ops have been, um, um, how do I put this, have been having issues with the politics surrounding it? I understand that New York um, is leading with its, you know, uh, (laughs) co-op and the model, you know, with co-ops because Mm -hmm. New York is by and large a more liberal state, you know, I mean, well, at least Manhattan is. So let me correct that. But by and large, it is. Mm -hmm. So um, in your conversations with people, um, how do you convince um, a business owner in South Carolina to create a co-op, for instance? How how would your pitch look like? You know, because people don't, A, like you said, don't understand what co-op is. Um, so how what's your pitch going to be uh, in South Carolina? <laughs> you know, I'm just choosing a random Southern state, but South Carolina, we'll go yeah. with that. Sure. So it depends who you're talking to. So if it's, an economic developer, um, you can say, share how these are great economic tools that are grassroots and are going to stay in the community. Um, it's not going to be owned by an outside corporation that'll get all the funds from that, you know, from, from the workers. Um, the profit, the the money will remain in the community mm-hmm. and and build wealth for that particular area. If it's a current business owner who you're um, trying to convince to sell to their workers, you can share it as an option to, as a retirement plan, mm-hmm. um, for example. And the workers, they still get paid the business. I mean, they still get paid the value of their business. It's right. not like sometimes we'll hear a misconception where worker, like the owners will think, well, I'm not just going to give my business to my employees. No, you're actually selling it. You're selling right. the business, valuated, all right. of that. There are co-op loans for the employees if they can't, you know, most people can't afford a business even together. So there are loans available that are co-op friendly. Um, So I would share that it's a good, you know, a good alternative for them to consider and Mm -hmm. a way to reward their employees Mm -hmm. for all their work. And I would speak directly to the people who could benefit from the co-op may benefit from it so even in South Carolina like I would say you know speak with people who um 
may want to form their own business but don't have the resources to do it on their own. Um, and you can share what the co-op model looks like, connect them to co-op guys, um, to other co-ops to learn about what this looks like because it's not a usual model in this country. We right. have to unlearn a lot of our capitalistic <laughs> practices and definitions of ownership right. and reframe it as something collective. Yeah, I, I think that those are powerful, powerful words because um, I, I believe in socialized medicine and sometimes it, that conversation around that is just, um, you know, when you bring in words, um, it, it doesn't help, you know, with the buy-in with the doctors and stuff. But the model that you were talking about is very interesting. I, I tell you very interesting because, you know, a lot of, uh, say, for example, dentists and uh, private practice owners do the same thing that you're saying. Like they actually sell their practices to the next doctor that is coming in, except it's going to be a single doctor. And obviously it's more in, in a very capitalistic way, it's just going to be one person. But what you're saying is that it, it's actually a collective rather than just one person. And you're kind of sharing your uh, knowledge and wealth and burdens, you know, all of that. Um, so I, I think that that's a very, very interesting notion. So Esther, my question, my follow-up question to that is, um, are there more, are, is there like a single uh, website resources for people to go see, or is it just University of Wisconsin and your work? Um, I, I understand for Latinx communities, you're the only, you, you guys are the only one who's, you know, compiled this huge data, but are there useful um or are you trying to get, you know, all of this knowledge into one? Is that like your future goal, uh, you know, even within the Latinx community to create that platform so that people can go search for these things and learn more about it? So, um, you know, uh, we're lucky that there, there are a lot of good resources and examples um, throughout the country. So, even though it's the, the first national compilation of Latinx co-ops, there's already been a, a lot of a lot of uh, incredible work done by different cooperators throughout the country. And some of that is written up or you can go to their website. Like if you look at the report and go to the co-ops websites, you can even purchase from them mm -hmm. and support them, through, you know, and get their your a benefit. Um but another, so besides the University of Wisconsin, which whose website, our website is uwcc.wisc.edu. And that has a lot of just general great co-op resources. Can another, you if you're looking at, oh, Sorry, sure. You, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. uwcc.wisc.edu. And that is for any kind of co-op. So it includes grocery stores, housing co-ops, all different industries. So that's a great place to start. And if you're looking at worker co-ops, worker owned, um, you can't beat the Federation of Worker Co-ops, the US Federation of Worker Co-ops, which I'm on the board of. Um, and uh, it is usworker.coop. Again, that's usworker.coop. Nice. And there are so many great webinars on there in Spanish, multilingual. A lot of their thing, uh, a lot of their resources are multilingual. So, um, and they they have a lot of Spanish speakers on staff. So, um, I highly recommend reaching out to them. Yeah, thank you. That that's uh, so. In parting, was there a question that? I didn't ask in this conversation that you'd liked for me to have asked and if there was anything else that you would like to have told us. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think, um, let's see here. I think there's a lot of opportunity through partnership development and it's, it's with cooperatives, it can be in any sector. So I think whatever industry you're in, you can consider it or think of ways that it could work. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no pressure, but <laughs> no, it's just my favorite thing. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, I think um, there's a lot of power in our solidarity movements. So I think that it was, it was, 
it, it was very um, meaningful to me that Dr. Jessica Gordon-Nemhard and I work together. Um, I think it's critical that our um, by POC community support each other and build up, we can build up what we want to see in our communities and economy. Yeah. And have it reflect us and be for us. And that is very powerful. And that's what we need to transition out of this last year was so stressful and, co- you know, COVID, the pandemic, Trump, you know, we need to transition into more just and creative communities. So this is a great tool to do that. Oh, wow. I mean, I think you stole the words out of my mouth. Um, I think uh, a black man's victory or a Hispanic man, woman's victory is our victory, right? When you talk about all POCs coming together to create platforms. And um, I certainly will be reaching out to you uh, only because I feel like worker-led hospitals, um, you know, worker-owned hospitals, um, doctors-owned hospitals, uh, instead of, you know, big corporation coming over and taking and making healthcare into a profitable capitalistic way is, is just not working for us as a society, at least in the U.S. So thank you for uh, that. I mean, this, 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 I, I always knew like I would have a wonderful conversation, but this, you hit it, hit it, <laughs> you know, uh, out of the park as we call it. But, um, you know, I, I'd like to talk again and, you know, talk more about, um, you know, the co-ops with, within your research. But I think kudos to you, Esther, you know, you took your determination and passion of co-ops and uh, you're, you're leading the way for many of us. And it's quite inspirational. Um, last but not the least, um, the three questions that I wanted to ask you, <laughs> what is the one word that you would encompass this conversation? Like if you were to say, this is a one word, a getaway word, a takeaway word for us in this conversation, what would it be? Creation. Ooh. (laughs) Creation. I like it. I really do. (laughs) So so go on, go on. Tell me more about creation. Yeah. So yeah, I think um, we need... We uh, can create what we want to see. Um, it's not always going to be easy. You know, there will be challenges, but there are so many um, problems within capitalism and how it looks today in the U.S. that it's imperative. Like, people are dying, and they don't need to, and people are having much harder lives than they need to. So we need to create our own uh, economies and that work for us. Absolutely. I love it. I really do. You just gave me goosebumps with that word. Um, I love it. Thank you. Um, And so what's a book recommendation that um, you would want us to go and read? I recommend Collective Courage by Dr. Jessica Gordon-Nemhard. It's an excellent book and has inspired so much uh, cooperative cooperative development in the U.S. um, amongst both. It's about African-American co-op development, um, but she's inspired so many people. And uh, I think it's a great, a great book to read. And so it was uh, called Collective Of course. You Mm -hmm. said it was called Collective Courage? Yes. Collective Courage by Dr. Jessica Gordon-Nemhard. Okay. Thank you. She's like, she's like CUNY. She's like what? Mm-hmm. She's like CUNY. In New York. <laughs> okay. She, she works. She's a professor over there. <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I'm going to tell you the first time I met you. Um, I did master's in public administration. And Esther, you did in urban planning at the Cleveland State. Um, I think I believe I met through a common friend because I think you were a year ahead of me and we lived next door. Um, Even back then, um, I forget the name of the person. There was a party. I remember you coming and I being in that party and everybody talking about co-ops. And I was like, Oh, I don't know anything about cooperatives, <laughs> even though I grew up and I went to a co-op grocery store. It didn't 
strike to me. So that was my first memory of you. And then, of mm. course, we could, you know, we kind of met recently in New Mexico. And um, I, I believe that, the, you know, universe had a telling, <laughs> you know, now that I, I'm more involved in understanding co-ops and um, equity creation and stuff like that. Like, you know, I'm, you know, with, with the whole capitalism and healthcare. So um, that, that was my first memory of you. So I don't know if you, what if you even remember. <laughs> you don't have to totally answer this, but this was like three questions that I ask everyone who's, you know, coming on my show. So yes, well, yeah, I I remember um, in uh, grad school when when we met. Um, one of my one of uh, one of my most distinct memories is us. Uh, <laughs> this is funny at Becky's, the little pub. <laughs> Oh, yeah, in the pub. Yes, now I remember. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. everyone would go and like get like yeah. drunk. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I think we were all drunk yeah. and we were like really idealistically passionately talking about things. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I remember just being impressed with how passionate you were about uh, making a more just world and being you know critical, like critical but constructive too around how things are and I was like we we're we're kindred spirits like we we've got to talk more so I'm it made me so happy that we got to meet up in Santa Fe and recently and I always love our conversations yeah and I think kindred spirits is right because I I find you absolutely inspiring for what you do so fight on fight on for all of us and uh, thank you for doing that important work that you do every day and um I will definitely have you back on and, you know, I hope that this conversation has created, you know, and, and I, I, and I, 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 I come back to the first sentence I said, we live in a world of memes. We live in a world of headlines. I really do hope that people take time to listen to this interview and understand what a co-op is perhaps, you know, um, and, and, you know, it lights a spark, right? Conversations light a spark. So Esther, thank you so, 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 so much for having this very important conversation. I, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. It means so much. And I, I'm so happy that you are doing this.